This is from the Heike Ganlaku, case 86, Yunmen's Kitchen Pantry and Main Gate. The pointer. He holds the world fast without the slightest leak. He cuts off the myriad flows without keeping a drop. Open your mouth and you're wrong. Hesitate in thought and you miss. But tell me, what is the barrier penetrating eye? To test, I sight this to see. Main case. Yunmen imparted some words saying, everyone has a light. When you look at it, you don't see it and it's dark and dim. What is everybody's light? No one said anything. He himself answered on their behalf. The kitchen pantry and the main gate. He also said, a good thing isn't as good as nothing. The verse. Spontaneously shining, ranged in solitary light, he opens a route for you. Flowers fall, the tree has no shadow. When looking, who doesn't see? Seeing or not seeing, riding backwards on an ox, entering the Buddha's shrine. So last month, as 2018 was coming to an end, I sent out an email with scheduled events for this year, the next 12 months. And along with that, I added a few words about how we need to understand continuous practice year after year. What do we do to practice when we are faced with event after event after event? What does it do to us? What does it stir up in us? How do we respond? And I want to bring back uh, and read what I wrote in that email. Since it's relevant to this koan, but also to how we proceed and deepen our understanding. So I wrote that Suzuki Roshi equated the process of spiritual deepening to walking through heavy mist. When you walk through foggy or misty weather for a long period of time, you may not notice that you are getting wet, as you would when you walk in rain, heavy rain. But the tiny droplets of the mist penetrate every fiber of your clothing and you're getting drenched without even noticing it. And spiritual maturation on the path happens in the same way. The process of moving from a fixed state of rigidity to a flowing way of being requires continuous exposure, continuous exposure to the various aspects of practice. So the heart can slowly open up to the Dharma and the Dharma is able to penetrate and drench every fiber of our being which means day after day, month after month, year after year. We have to keep turning our attention to the teachings, refine that degree of concentration, and discover deeper subtleties that we were unable to see before. I wrote some other things about Mara, but 
Maybe that's for another time. But the point here, the, the main point here is to recognize that the process happens over a long period of time, continuous immersion in what we call traditional Zen practice. And so to stay encouraged and engaged is essential. To stay encouraged and engaged. Although we fluctuate uh, often, we fluctuate with our, in the way we respond to the practice. Sometimes we're excited by it. Sometimes we are maybe bored by it. Sometimes we feel that it goes with and sometimes we feel that it goes against. And it's all fine. It's actually all part of what we call practice, as long as we don't start to see that as outside of practice. And it takes time to, well, the reason why it takes time is because we have to exhaust our efforts to try to figure out reality conceptually, or to hold on relentlessly to a fixed position while moving through day after day, month after month, year after year. It's exhausting, yet there's no shortcut, which means we have to exhaust ourselves. You know, the first Ox herding, uh, some of you may know the 10 ox herding pictures. Uh, they depict a path of or process of uh, spiritual maturation. And the main point in that is an ox, or the image of an ox as realization, with the nature, true self, whatever we call it, and the one who is searching for it. And then it goes from not, not knowing even how to look for it to finding tracks, to, trying, to try to uh, ride it, to be kicked off it, to uh, suffer injuries, and then eventually to merge with the ox, where your activity, our activities are actually none other than the Buddha's activities. So the first one, each one of them, there's a picture, there's a drawing and a poem. And the first one, the poem says, In the pasture of the world, I endlessly push aside the tall grasses in search of the bull, the ox. Following unnamed rivers, lost upon the interpenetrating paths of distant mountains, my strength failing and my vitality exhausted, I cannot find the bull. I only hear the locust chirping through the forest at night. I only hear this, but I cannot find that. So the point, the important point here for us is my strength failing and my vitality exhausted. And how often do we feel this way? How often do we feel that we try, we try, we try. We cannot get anywhere. We can't realize anything. And sometimes the more we try, the more it feels as if the resistance strengthens. 
or other voices become louder. So the question is, how do we try, right? How do we exhaust ourselves? So we have to look at that. Because we have to exhaust ourselves. Yesterday in class, Aikido class, somebody who's been training with us for a while, maybe a couple of years, a fairly strong guy. I find that the stronger you are, the more difficult it is because the more you have to let go off, actually. So it was, it was a rigorous class and he was training and sweating and then at the end of class, he came over and he said, I had an amazing experience in class. I was trying very hard and I got so exhausted that my muscles just didn't work anymore. And he said, then something amazing happened. All of a sudden, I was able to move much better. I was able to apply much greater power to my partner, my practice partner. And I was able to, to guide my own movement and the other person's movement which, with much more ease. But first he said, I was so tired that I just couldn't. I couldn't. I wasn't able to use the regular way of handling things. And I thought about that in relation to our practice because it's Zemprin, it's very related to that. We have to exhaust trying and trying and trying to conceptualize, to think, maybe to drop out, to come back in, or whatever it is that our path is or will be, our personal path on the path. And there's no way around that. But for us, the question is, what do we learn from trying and falling on our face and trying and falling on our face? Do we learn from our own experiences? I often tell you guys that individually that we are essentially our most important teachers. If we learn, if we study, as we just chanted, Hakuin Song of Zazen, if we turn inward and prove our true nature, that true self is no self, our own self is no self, if we turn inward and verify for ourselves, on our own, then we see. Then we see. But to turn inward, that's the catch in a way. That's, that's where it gets tough. Because our tendency is to turn outward. So we have to go against that tendency and be the one who is proving our, my true nature. Be the one who verifies. Not by thought. Not by logic. Not by what I read. Not by what I understand. But by what? Right? By what? What is it? You know, we often uh, bring up the three pillars of practice. Great doubt, great trust, great determination. 
I have to admit that I tend to focus on trust and determination and maybe I'll mention enough the aspect of the great doubt. But this aspect is absolutely essential to the process of spiritual maturation. And we need to examine how we understand it. And, and to doubt, it's an interesting word, right? It may have a connotation of being suspicious, uncertain, hesitant. Actually, if you look at the dictionary, that's, those are the words that are used to explain doubt. But in terms of Zen practice or spiritual practice, the aspect of great doubt is much more open than those connotations. And the doubt spiritual practice refers to is more about raising the intention to intercept our impulsive knee-jerk reactivity, right? To not believe the mental construct that manifests as our thoughts and emotions, and to be curious about the possibility to encounter reality in a different way. And also to the possibility that what I know as me is not what I am. What I'm protecting may not need protection. And of course it's radical because it does go against everything we're taught or the ways we are taught to be. So to doubt what I have come to rely on and to dare to act in ways that are out of character, essentially. Now we hear a lot, and you know, maybe we say a lot, I'm not like this, I'm like that, this is not what I, us I usually do. Right? Those are not the activities I usually turn towards. So to dare to act differently, to dare to do things out of character, and there are times in life that we are presented with challenges, maybe opportunities, that the question whether or not we will take those opportunities or seize the moment will be answered by, am I willing to do things that are out of character? Am I willing to take a step while I feel paralyzed by fear of taking that very step? But that's how doubt manifests. And that's how doubt is actualized. It manifests as the fear of doing something or going to the unknown, doing something out of character. And it actualizes by doing it, regardless, or doing it anyway. So doubt is very much alive. It's not a static concept. It's alive in us as emotions, as thoughts. And then actualized as actions that are, they feel as if we are betraying something. 
can only feel as if we go against something. But maybe we are betraying something by allowing the doubts to paralyze us. Maybe it's the other way around. And then doubt is also what should be the basis of education, right? So we should, instead of having or developing or teaching hunger for degrees or for recognition or specific kinds of schools over other kinds of schools, maybe it should be more about being curious, wanting to learn for the sake of learning, wanting to learn to expand, to know. Just for that. Just to be motivated by curiosity. I see my, my kids now, how they are so lost in, in this craziness. They're, they're in, the twins are in high school. And from the first year of high school, it's already injected into them. You know, what school, everything is about which school you're going to be accepted to. Everything is about college. And what, which college, not just any college, obviously. So it's not about learning. It's not about being curious. Right? Because we created a different kind of world or based on other ideas. So to be curious. And when it comes to our practice, absolutely essential, right? Because we sit down, we don't move, and we observe. And if we observe without being curious, what are we going to see? the same movies playing over and over again, right? The same episodes. We've seen them a million times. We sit down, well, let me watch it again. What haven't I seen for a while? I'll go back to that. I mentioned it last week that my own fears of sitting and then having no thought to entertain, be entertained by and then looking for something to be entertained by or to hold on to. And this is the process of letting go of the need to put something there and just allowing things to come and go without attaching, without holding on to them. And being comfortable in mid-space, floating. So to study, as Dogen described exploration by first saying that to study the way is to study the self. To turn inwardly, as we just chanted, Hakuin Sogov Zazen, to turn inwardly. It means to intimately observe the fears, insecurities, emotional triggers, the way we function where we are alone, the way we interact with other people. Right? The whole thing. As I mentioned this morning, everything is included. What we need to do is just observe it. Observe and maybe begin to see how many layers of veneer I've put out over the years. How covered 
up am I? And then to ask, what is it that I am? What is the purpose of the layers and layers and layers of veneer? And then when I'm alone, right? When nobody's around, how many layers do I actually take off? Or do I keep few layers just so I don't see who I am? Or just so I don't realize that what I think I am is actually put on, is actually made up. So some layers do come off when we are alone. And some layers are so adhered, so molded into our being, that we don't even know that these are layers. Hence, continuous refinement, layer after layer after layer after layer. Not that there's something there, it's just that that's the process. What am I protecting and what am I afraid of? I remember when I first came here, I was with my ex-wife 30 years ago, <coughs> almost 30 years ago. We, we stayed with relatives, her relatives. And I vividly remember a conversation I had with the person we were staying with about the question of pursuing a career. And at that time, I had some knowledge of cabinet making, some carpentry. So I engaged in some odd jobs and just to make a few bucks. While actually my true interests were in pursuing Aikido training and spiritual practice. So I talked with her a little bit about that. And because I did not seem that interested in pursuing a, a standard career. Well, she asked me some questions, and then after I expressed what I'm interested in, she looked at me and she asked, do you want to be a loser? And she wasn't trying to be condescending or anything like that. She just really, truly believed that unless you follow one of the presented paths, right, that we are told about in school, unless you choose one of those and go along that, then you end up being a loser. Then she expressed what she thought in a very sincere way. I didn't answer at that time. And the conversation went in a different direction. But now I looked at it, right? I look at it now from where I'm sitting now. I would probably say yes. In a very clear, resounding way, yes. I would love that. Right? I would love to dedicate my life to pursuing a path that teaches how not to grasp and accumulate anything. And to be perfectly fine with being a loser. You remember the practice, I think it was uh, Confucius said the Practice of the path consists of daily losing. If we're not losers, we are accumulating. 
and what we accumulate becomes such a burden that we can no longer move very quickly. So to pursue a career, there's nothing wrong with that. Obviously, you know, we, we need all kinds of careers. We need lawyers and doctors and engineers and whatever. But how we pursue and what is it that we're looking for and what do you, we think that we will gain? Is it about me gaining something or is it about pursuing a career for the benefit of all, for the benefit of others? Because that changes everything. Because if I think or I feel that if I pursue a career, I will become that, then I will realize that there's nothing there at some point. But until that point comes, I will hold on to the hope for the idea that when I get there, when I get that status, certificate, whatever achievement, I think that there is something there. I'm holding on to that. I get there. There's nothing there. Maybe there's something wrong with the profession I chose. Maybe I have to keep going. So to study, to study the self means to examine all this, not to just swallow it whole, right? Because most of the world behaves this way, but to examine our own impulsive habits to accumulate and identify with what we accumulate. But it's titled Status, Wealth, and also to ask, does it really work? Does it really work? Now, we all have been around for a while. We look back. We study ourselves. And we ask, you know, what have I gained? And does this gaining amount to anything real? Does it deliver the promised eventual arrival as society would present it? Well, as we, pre I should, shouldn't say that, but because we are society, right? We, we sell and we buy, right? We do it. There's no bad guys over there trying to push us. Here, take this. It's good for you. Right? We do it for to ourselves, which is fine. But again, to ask, does it work? Or does more ever become enough? In terms of doing things or careers, you know, Master Rinzai said, use everything but do not name it. Use everything. Be everything. Just don't name it or don't name yourself based on what you do. And that means freedom. Don't turn away from anything. Don't reject. Do it all. Don't attach to it. That's the sticky part. I am this, this, and that. 
And I am not this, this, and that. Is it true? What do we accumulate? Now we're born with nothing and die with nothing. This is not made up. So since those are the two points that we are aware of, hopefully, what can possibly be accumulated between those two points of time? What does this accumulation mean anyway? So since we are born as nothing and die as nothing, wouldn't it make sense to turn our attention to study nothing? Right? This is what we are. And if we're not that, then who was it that came out of the womb? Was, that not, was this not me? Before I knew anything, was that not me? Was that a partial person? Not yet acknowledged. Let's see what you can do with yourself. Then maybe we'll grant you this title, human being. And what about the point of death? When everything we have worked hard for all our lives deemed completely pointless, who are we then? Or what are we then? Are we lacking then? Were we lacking at the point of birth? And that's the second part of Dogen's advice. First he says to study the way, study the self. Then he said to study the self is to forget the self. Which means to forget everything that, that you or we can hold on to or accumulate. Or be the one who is accumulating. Forget that. So you study all this and you forget all this. You just look at the tendencies. Examine. Let go of names, definitions, positions. Put aside the need to defend and protect and study the face before the parents were born. How did you look like? To study what we all are at the point of birth before anything is added on, any veneers. And this koan, Yunmen, says to his disciples, everyone has a light. When you look at it, you don't see. And it's dark and dim. And then he asks, what is everybody's light? Everybody has a light. Maybe the word has is somewhat misleading. <laughs> Because it sounds like the light is a possession that can be gotten or lost. The light Yunman referring to here is intrinsic 
to each and every person, each and everything. So has, is, is, in this case. Everybody is light. Animate, inanimate, that's not in question. That's realization. Or that's, that comes from Yunman's realization. And then the question is, since that is not in question, the question is, how do we see this light? And how does that light function in our lives? And the issue with not seeing the light has to do with the way we're trying to see it. Or with the fact that we are trying to see it. The question, where is it? How do I see it? is falling into the secondary, is raising waves when there is no wind, is gouging a wound into a healthy flash. Actually, is the question we have to exhaust. We have to get so tired from trying to answer the question that we just can't do it anymore. And then what's left is the light. When we don't distract ourselves with questioning, what's left is the light. Of course, it doesn't mean don't be curious. Because the light is boundless. And the way it functions is new each and every moment. So the curiosity has to go there. How does it function right now? Am I distracted or distracting myself from experiencing the light and expressing it? There's another collection of commentaries on the Blue Cliff Record Hekiganoku, written by two famous Japanese Zen masters from 17th century, Hakuin, as you know, Hakuin Song of Zazen, who was a Rinzai, in the Rinzai lineage, and Tenkei, who was in our lineage, actually, in our lineage, Soto lineage. I'd like to bring up their comments on this koan, just so we have a different appreciation for their styles, and how they actually merge well. And maybe to clarify Yunmen's meaning here in this koan. So Aquin said, this koan is a crucial pass within the Blue Cliff Record. No explanation is needed. Everyone has a light. And then he said, I don't accept any of the interpretations at all. Do not understand it as inherent in everyone. When you look, you do not see. As soon as you try to see it, you can't. What is your light? Your eyebrows lie horizontally over your eyes. A pitch black mountain range runs through the night. That's it. Eyebrows lie horizontally over your eyes. And Tenke, Tenke Denson said, 
the light that everyone has is not something like the luminous curl of a white hair between Buddha's eyebrows in scriptural imagery. Simply not eating with your nose is everybody's light. You wouldn't think of eating with your nose. But you wouldn't think that there's something special about not eating with your nose. Of course. Of course is the answer. Two, everyone has light. Of course I'm not going to eat with my nose. That's not in question. Well, then where's the question? Where is the question? He says here, Tenke said, Yunmen's statement seem, seems grandiose, grandiose, but from the perspective of one who knows, it's quite funny. And it is funny, right? When you think about, well, yeah. When I eat, I use my mouth. So one says that your light is just your eyebrows lying horizontally over your eyes, and then the other says simply not eating with your nose is everyone's light. So simple, so available, yet so unapproachable for most. And it's available because it's never a part of this one here, the one who's sitting in, on this cushion and listening to a teju. And it's unapproachable because of the way we try to approach it. Or we can say that it's unknowable because of the way we try to know it. Because of the way we try to know it or to try to see it, we cannot see it or we cannot know. which again and again brings it back to the observing the way we, each one of us, thinks, acts, interacts, comes down to zazen, obviously, and to mobilize our zazen, which means we never sit down, we never get up. We don't begin a period of sitting. We don't end a period of sitting. It's all nonsense. Just continuous practice. I have to say here that I always felt that the koans and koan study, for me personally, always has been the, a link between zazen and every, what we call everyday life. How does Zazen manifest in my life? The koans have the power to illuminate. And I'm saying it because, because I'm trying to encourage you to be more diligent with your koan study. And if you are still practicing breath or shikantaza and it's been a while, and you're not doing koans, bug me, ask me, can I work on a koan? I'll let you know. 
If I think yes, then yes. If I think that maybe you have to do some other things before that, then that's what we'll do. But the point is, see the, the value, the transformative value of studying cons personally, not just listening to them in Taisho. And develop this fire. Well, it doesn't matter how many you do, you know, whether you pass this one, you don't pass, this doesn't matter. But just keep at it. Also realize that, you know, to feel defeated after, you know, coming out of Dokusan with the advice, go back to your cushion and look at it again, is natural. Not only that, but when you feel defeated, it gives you a chance to look at, well, who is defeated here? Who feels bad about this? What's the problem? Why do I not choose to be curious at that moment rather than choose to feel flattened or defeated? Oh, there must be something I'm not seeing. How great. How wonderful, right? I'm going to sit down and look at it. Oh, shit, I failed. Last one was great. I got it. What happened? It's how we think. We all think this way. Don't feel bad. We're all the same, actually, in so many ways. You know, it's a long process, but, you know, as, as Suzuki points out, but we have to learn from the process rather than to beat our heads against the wall until we can't take the pain anymore, right? That's not the point. We have to learn, and then we have, we have to learn to choose what's, condu- what's more conducive for deepening. What will work better for spiritual maturation? To choose that over maybe what feels comfortable for a moment. Maybe instead of going to practice, I feel like sitting on the couch and watching another episode of something, right? Instead of waking up early in the morning, I, maybe I should sleep in a little bit. And it feels better at that moment, no doubt. But how often what feels better is not what we need to do. And we went hiking over New Year's Day it was a nice day, still cold, but nice day. And one of my daughters came with us. And she was reluctant to come, but she did. And maybe 15, 20 minutes into the hike, um, she started to perk up and, and she said, I, I really love hiking. It's just it's difficult for me to get going in the morning when we, when we are about to leave or when we plan to go or to pack up my things and all that to, to get ready. But she said, I really love it. And she was really happy to hike. She started to talk a lot and was much more cheerful. And so to learn, and to just that statement, I thought it was a really good statement to know that there is resistance in me to actually get, to get going in the morning. But I know that if I do it, it's conducive. It opens things up. It actually does work to get going. But when 
I'm about to wake up or when I'm waking up or I'm about to leave, maybe I don't feel as energized. So from experience, we know that it's good to be consistent. It's good to develop spiritual strength or discipline. It's good. It's wholesome. It helps. And also, to, to take the responsibility to, to do what works without waiting for our thinking patterns to change. You know, like we may think, I've been practicing for a while, then how come it's still difficult for me to get up in the morning? Right? Or I've taken Jukai or whatever it is we think we have achieved. And by now, I expected that I will just jump out of bed with a smile after two hours of sleep. Not happening. To anyone. So, you know, it is what it is, but we just get up and we do it. We do what we have to do. Well, maybe change the parameters, right? Instead of how I feel right now, maybe to ask, is it skillful or not skillful for liberation? Does it work? So he asked his disciple, human asked his disciple, what is your light? And then nobody said anything. He was a pretty terrifying teacher, based on the stories. Nobody said anything, so he, on their behalf, answered the kitchen pantry and the main gate. And then he said, the good thing isn't as good as nothing. And then Hakuin commented on this, saying, these words are very poisonous, fatal even in the air. A good thing cannot match nothing. How terrifying. Even to speak of becoming a Buddhist or joining a congregation is being a busybody. Trying to sweep everything away is a misunderstanding. That connects to the second part I wrote about Mara. I'm not going to get into it now, but trying to sweep everything is a misunderstanding. Trying to eliminate challenges and difficulties and emotions, unpleasant emotions. That's a misunderstanding. Then he says, he ends that paragraph by saying, he shaves steel from the tip of a needle. That's Yunman's case or example. He shaves steel from the tip of a needle. Imagine that, a needle, the tip of the needle. Think about the, the level of refinement that he's, he's speaking of. how minutely we have to examine in order to get to the level of shaving steel from the tip of a needle. And then Tenke, the dense one said, all of space in the ten directions, the entire cosmos is your own light. 
which explains Jungmann's answer. Now, these words are poisonous, as he says, right? They are designed to kill us. Or maybe it sounds better to say that they are designed to revive us. And this is where the same as Dogen saying, to forget the self is to be verified by all things. To see yourself in all things. But to see ourselves in all things, we have to drop the separating barrier or layer created by the outline of me. Right? What we see. Or what we think of as me. Or what we think of as not me. There's a lot of resistance. I remember when my older daughter, she's 20 now, but she was, I don't know, maybe around two years old, she was, we're working on winning her over the binky, right, the pacifier. And it was scary, actually, the, the, her reaction to this. It was really like, I mean, she was addicted to it. Obviously, that's what we do. We become addicted to things. And she was just absolutely, she didn't know what to do with herself. She was pointing at her mouth constantly, wanting to put something there. And then it took a while. She did, obviously, <laughs> stop doing it. But, uh, but it, was, yeah, it was shocking, actually, for me to, to see that, to see how, how quickly we become addicted, how, how addicted she was to it. So it does, it does take a while to see ourselves as the kitchen pantry and the main gate. And, you know, he was referring to, they were in a monastery, right? There was a kitchen pantry and there was a main gate and there are many other things. He could have said other things too. Maybe he did. But it takes a while to break through the barrier to actually for real see ourselves or see others as us. You know, Dogen said, there are fools who look upon themselves as if they were someone else. And there are wise people who regard others as themselves. It's a very powerful statement. Actually, it's a very sobering statement. Right? The wise people who regard others as themselves. And others is others. It means everybody. Not just the ones we admire and like. Everybody. And everything. Now that brings reverence and appreciation, right? Because you're not just taking a piece of something, throwing it from here to here. You're actually caring for yourself. Right? You sweep the mat or you clean, or you take out the trash, or you wash the dishes, you are caring for you. It changes everything. So in a way, we kind of, we do it until we pretend, pretend, until we actually feel this way, right? So we, the practice is teaching us to act as if we are already there, because we are already there. Right? That's why attention is so important. Put your heart and soul into this. 
Because you are this. You don't feel it yet. You feel that this is a chore that gets, that's getting in your way at this point. Yeah, that's, we understand that. But while you, while you feel this way, still look around, appreciate everything because it is your light. And then Yunmen ends this short exchange by saying that a good thing isn't as good as nothing. You know, is he saying it? I think it's as if he's trying to erase what he said before, telling his disciples that it would have been much better if he said nothing. Or in a way, telling his disciples, if, if you think I gave you a good answer, then think again. And by saying the kitchen pantry and the main gate, it actually can be distracting their attention from the light that we are or they are. Because the attention goes to the kitchen pantry and the main gate. But to be verified by all things is to see the kitchen pantry and the main gate as this one here. And then he said because of that, that nothing is far greater than something. Would you agree? Right? Something or someone is limited to its thingness or to being someone. Having nothing, being nothing, reaches everywhere, has no limitations. A complete loser. Hallelujah. A complete loser. Is there any better path or more worthy path to, to be on other than the path of losing it all and being okay with that? How to use it. Maybe I'll end with that. Zen Master Mayu was fanning himself. A monk approached and said, Master, the nature of wind is permanent and there is no place it does not reach. Why then do you fan yourself? Although you understand that the nature of wind is permanent, Mayu said, you do not understand the meaning of it reaching everywhere. What is the meaning of it reaching everywhere? asked the monk. Mayu just kept fanning himself. The monk bowed deeply. That's true freedom. There's the last line of the poem it says, riding backwards on an ox entering the Buddha shrine. I know the last, the last poem from the 10th Oxherding Pictures where there is complete merging and then forgetting about complete merging. It says, Barefooted and naked of breast, I mingled with the people of the world. My clothes are ragged and dust-laden and I am ever blissful. 
I use no magic to extend my life. Now before me, the dead trees become alive. I have abandoned the whip and ropes. That's the whip and ropes of the ox. I have abandoned, exhausting myself. I am realizing I am exactly where I've always been, exactly who I've always been. Nothing lacking. 